Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Always come here on Sundays, but I'm just letting you know from this point forward in the service, the climb's going to go about like this, and you need to decide right now whether you're just going to stay back down here where it's flat and comfortable and easy, or whether you are willing to accept the challenge to make a climb with me this morning. You may not have prepared yourselves for it, but maybe God's been working in your life, and, and this morning, you sense, yeah, there's, there's a new openness in me. I'm open to taking some more devoted steps toward Jesus. Well, here we go. In order to do that, we're going to turn in the scriptures to Hebrews chapter 5. It's a book in the New Testament, second half of the New Testament, uh, formerly called the Epistle to the Hebrews. Epistle is a fancy word for letter with lots of meaning, and uh, there, there's a problem with this letter compared to all the other books in the New Testament. We don't have any idea who wrote it. Merely on the basis of its content and the weight therein, all the folks who helped us put the scriptures together said, this one you absolutely cannot leave out. The epistle to the Hebrews, I invite you to stand with me, please. You know what? Hang on. I want to give you a little background first. Um, Yeah, and it could take a while because I'm me, right? A little bit of background. Book of Hebrews uh, has a single message, and the message is this, that the Jesus-following life is absolutely the only way to go in this world. It is incomparable to any other. So in order to convince his readers, who are being tempted, it seems, to go back on their faith and go back to their former way of life, the writer to the Hebrews in this book, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, describes how Jesus is better than all the other spiritual leaders that they've ever known and how the Christ-following life is deeper and more rewarding than any other that they've ever known. And by the time we pick up the reading in chapter 5, the author, whoever he was, has made that part of his case, and then he introduces this idea, that it was suffering that taught the very Son of God to be obedient to God. That, that it was suffering that taught the very Son of God to be obedient to God even when he didn't get what he prayed for. So think about this. Because of how life has gone for some of us in recent months and years, we admittedly haven't gotten all that we prayed for, right? Somebody be honest with me here this morning? Yeah? We haven't gotten everything that we've prayed for. Maybe, maybe that means we're at a place where we could actually learn the same lesson that Jesus learned. And we can grow immensely in our faith if we'll open our hearts and minds to it. If your life has been painful or disappointing lately, maybe consider for just a moment that though God did not cause those horrible things to happen in your life, he's willing to work with them and to teach you the same lesson that Jesus himself had to learn. I think that might be the word for someone here today. Let's take a look at what is written. We'll begin with verse 11. Please stand. Lord, I'll open myself up to you. Will you open the word up to me? 
my brothers and sisters here, praying some version of that same prayer. I open myself up to you. Will you open your word up to me? Since the terrain is steep, would you give us strength and endurance, we pray. Reading from chapter 5 of, of Hebrews, beginning with verse 11. He writes this, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I got to tell you, as I was working my way through this, uh, the planning of this series of sermons on, on steps that you and I could take, uh, action steps that we could take to grow in our faith, I was really tempted to skip this one. There are plenty of others that I have been tempted to skip as well. And each week the Lord says, mm, maybe instead of giving up and maybe instead of taking the easy path, you could, you could go this way this week. And as I labored over this text early on in the week, I realized that I have had a tendency to avoid this and some other passages like it. See, there's, there's a lot of chewy, nutritious, spiritual meat and the idea of learning, that, of learning to be obedient to God even when we don't get what we've prayed for. There's a lot of meat in there, a lot of meat in there. And I'm tempted to camp there today, but I don't think it really is what we're supposed to learn today. So I'm just going to lay that out there and whoever that one was for, take it and go home with it. But I want to break down this passage the way that I have the last three as we've been taking these, these tougher steps, these more strenuous, mature steps toward growth in Christ. I want to look at this passage to find God's goal for us. I want to look for a specific action that you and I can take that will cause growth in our lives. And then I want to learn to recognize the signs of when that spiritual growth is taking place so that we don't get discouraged along the way. We can look and say, oh, there's the proof. There's the sign that I saw in the scriptures that means God's actually doing his thing in my life and I'm growing. But in order for me to to get into this passage, to, to throw myself into it and open up my heart to it, I had to first realize that there were, for me, a couple of barriers to doing so. And the first is that, I felt like I was getting scolded when I read the passage. Anybody else feel a little bit like that? This is not a new passage. Uh, there are no new passages. It's the Bible. It's old, okay? It's, um, but it's not new to many of us. We've, we've read it a number of times, and each time that you read it, don't you kind of feel like whoever, the, I don't know why he remained anonymous, so he could chew people out and take off, right? I feel a little bit scolded whenever I read it. There's that phrase, You no longer try. That's your problem. Can I suggest for just a moment this morning that maybe we could imagine a slightly different tone to the passage? Rather than somebody shaking their bony finger at us and saying, the problem is that you don't work hard enough, the problem is that you gave up, maybe instead we could could assume a different tone. 
Quit imagining the accusatory tone, and maybe we could just ask if that's an honest assessment of me. Do I really try to grow, or do I merely wish that I would grow? Do I actually work at this, or am I just hoping that as I sit here passively, growth will miraculously happen? You know, like a growth spurt with your kids. Ah, all of a sudden, outgrowing shoes, outgrowing pants. All of a sudden, God's just going to say, well, time for you to grow. Or have you been working at this thing? Maybe the writer to the Hebrews was making an honest assessment of his original audience when he said, one of the reasons that you're not growing is because you're not trying to. One of the questions that I then have to ask myself is, do I even want to grow? Or am I really just content being what I am right now? How many of you, when you were a teenager, speaking to the adults in the room, thought, man, I hope uh, when I die, I'm exactly what I am right now? How many of you were so content with being whatever you were, the teenage version of you, that you just thought, no, no dreams, no plans, no goals, got it all right now. This is what I want to be when I die. How many said, oh, I've got dreams? I've got plans. The world's going to be different because I lived in it. There's something right and holy and good in us that says, whatever I am for now, good, but there's something better. There's a better version of me out there in the future somewhere, and I'm going to go pursue that person and make it happen. I have to ask myself the question, do I really want to grow, or am I content being this? It may not be anyone else's business to ask that question of you, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is your obligation to ask it of yourself and to answer it honestly. Is it really the case that you're not growing because you've quit trying? There's a second barrier in here. It's also more of the scolding. It's that phrase where he said, you ought to be further along by now. I always... Imagine that tone and that action. I don't know why. This is not my mom's fault. I'm sure of it. Here's what I think. I think that we very often mistakenly experience shame, a sense that we are worthless as a person when we misjudge assessments of our performance. I'm going to say that again, then I'll unpack it. I think that we often mistakenly experience shame, a sense that we are worthless as a person, when we misjudge assessments about our performance. You know how I know this? It's because I've had job performance reviews. Okay? At the end of my job performance review, I usually feel like this. When, uh, when I first became a pastor in uh, uh, 2001, first became a, a senior pastor, I was at the Whitefish Church of the Nazarene. The way our denomination uh, orders these things is at, the, uh, at your two-year anniversary, you have a formal review. My district superintendent um, had the board fill out all these things, and then he came to town to go over it with me and the board, and he said, hey, I want to take you to lunch so uh, you kind of know how things are going before we go to the board meeting. We'd had a fantastic time. We're loving life in Whitefish, good things happening in the church, and the DS sat down with me, and he put a sheet of paper in front of me, and there were 38 things on the page that the church board wanted me to do differently. 
38. That's more things than I had years of my life. I was 33, and they wanted me to change 38 things about how I was doing pastoral work. And it just about crushed me. I thought, uh, I was doing better than this. And all of a sudden, I started kicking myself and um, spiraled. This thing was just way too bad. I went to the board meeting, and I don't know if they said anything good in that meeting. All I could hear was the 38 proofs that I was a loser. Anybody ever been through a job performance review when you came out of there, you felt this big? Yeah, yeah. You know what the church board was saying to me that day? There's just some things we want you to do different. (laughs) There's just some things we want you to do different. They still loved me. They still liked me. They voted unanimously for me to continue as their pastor. They just said there's some things you got to do different. But you know what I did? I took that and, and, and drove it straight into my heart. And I made it a statement about my value as a person. And in shame, I wanted to hide from that from Laura, and I wanted to, to hide it from my board. I didn't want anybody in the church to, to know all these, the, the, the fact that I was not good enough to be their pastor. And that is not at all what the board was saying to me that day. They were saying, just do some things differently. Just do some things differently. You're, the, you're still the man for us. Just do some things differently. We often mistakenly experience shame, a sense of of worthlessness as a person when we misjudge assessments about our performance. You get a report card lately, teens? Yeah? Listen, that's not about you. That's just about how you've performed in the classroom. It says nothing about your value as a person. 4.0 people, you're no better than the 1.0 people in terms of your intrinsic value. Understand, report cards are not about you. They're just saying, yeah, you need to do some things differently. The writer to the Hebrews said, you ought to be further along by now. It wasn't intended to put any shame upon us. It wasn't a statement about about us being unworthy of God's love. It wasn't a statement about being fired from the kingdom. It was him just saying, you ought to be further along by now. You have not kept up with the pace of change that God had planned for you. The statement isn't calling anyone worthless, but it does offer an honest assessment of the performance of the people to whom the writer to the Hebrews was was writing. We must all ask ourselves this question this morning. Is that also an an honest assessment of my performance? Doesn't say anything about me and my value. Just is it an honest assessment of my performance that I ought to be farther along than I am? Should you be more mature in your faith by now? No shame. This isn't about your worth, just your behavior. How you doing? That was a barrier that I had to get past, a big one that I had to get past before I could hear what was really in the passage. There was another barrier as well. Um, I got over it fairly quickly, early in life, but I know some of you, many of you are probably still stuck at this one barrier. And this is uh, not to say that I'm a better Christian than you. It's that um, I want to be a teacher. (laughs) 
I've wanted to be a teacher and a preacher from the time I was about nine years old when God tapped me on the shoulder and said, this is what I want you to do with your life. But I know an awful lot of Christians read this passage and they go, oh, whoa, I don't want to be a teacher. Few people want to become teachers. Fewer yet want to become spiritual teachers. So Christians tend to either ignore this passage or try to explain it away. The problem is that this passage gives us no easy outs. Told you it was uphill, right? Challenge for today. Here's the challenge. Will you suspend your own arguments for a few moments and hear the passage out? Because the passage says you ought to be teachers by now. Could we, understanding that it's no... If we're not there yet, that it's no statement about our value as persons, just a performance review, could we just open our hearts for a moment and see what it is he's trying to teach us in the passage? Let's take a look at God's goal for us. Just as we've broken down this passage, uh, the, the various passages for the last few weeks into to goals and then action steps and then the indicators that we're getting it right. So we'll do it with this one too. And the goal that, that the scriptures make clear to us that is God's desire for us is that each of us gains teacher level knowledge. And most Christians go, okay, I can work toward the knowledge, but do not ask me to teach. And the problem is that the passage says you ought to be teachers by now. And teach, Gina, can you help me? Teachers, what is it that they do? They teach, right. It's how you can tell they're a teacher, right? Because they teach. It's because of all the teaching that the teachers do that makes them teachers. And this letter doesn't say, oh, by the way, to the board or to the Sunday school teachers, hear the word of the Lord. It's just this statement that's written to all of the Hebrew Christians everywhere. And and because we believe in the authority of God's word, we, we find that it has some bearing and meaning in our lives. And the writer just says, if you're not a teacher yet, you need to build teacher level knowledge. But once you've got teacher level knowledge, teach what you know to others. Doesn't mean you're supposed to uh, quit your job, go to college and seminary like I did. Uh, It just means that there are some things that you need to build your knowledge of so that when God the Holy Spirit gives you opportunities with someone who is inquisitive, you can say something other than, wait right here, I'll get my pastor. The goal is to gain knowledge and then teach. And no, not everyone will teach Sunday school classes. Not everyone will preach. Not everyone will lead formal Bible study groups or anything like that. But everyone, without exception, who knows what it is to be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life, should do whatever it takes to learn enough about our faith to teach our own children. Somebody give me a fat amen there because I need one. It is not the job of the pastors or the Sunday school teachers to disciple your children. When we all go and stand before the judge of this universe, you know he's going to call to step up about the discipleship project relative to your kids. It's you. Every person should do what it takes to learn enough about our faith to teach the next generation of our family that faith. And if I can teach it to my kids, why not put them in a group with their friends and I'll teach some of them too. But not just our children. 
We have people that God guides into our circle of influence in the hope that we will take these treasures that have been afforded to us in the scriptures and at just the right time unearth them and say, hey, I got something for you. Did you know that? Away we go. Every person should be able to lead others to take little steps in the faith, particularly those first steps in the faith. And this passage just says, how you doing on that? Performance review time, not worth assessment. Performance assessment, how you doing? Can you do that? But if we're going to be true to the passage, there is no shirking this level of responsibility. Disciples are to reproduce themselves, and that means teaching others about Jesus and the Jesus-following life. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so what's the action step? If I've got to get to that level and then be able to teach when the Holy Spirit uh, pulls the cork out of my mouth, um, how do I get there? Well, um, you're just going to have to learn to start going for the meat over the milk. You got to go for the meat over the milk. Dig into some solid food looking for what challenges you, listen, instead of what comforts you. Christians, listen, I'm an American too. You know what we love more than anything else? Comfort, life of ease. Some people would say money. I say, no, money's just the way that you buy comfort and ease, and that's why most people like it. Unfortunately, we typically, I think, approach the scriptures as Americans. What can I find in there that makes me feel better about me? What can I find in there that makes me worry less? What can I find in there that builds me up? What can I find in there that encourages me? What can I find in there that makes me feel love? What can I find in there that produces joy in my life? It's not a bad thing. There's lots of that stuff in the scriptures. You will trip all over it if you just make a steady, repeated, consistent read-through of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. You're going to come across all kinds of stuff that will encourage you, help you, and make you feel good. But most of us approach the scriptures as Americans, which means we look for that which makes us comfortable and happy, and we avoid like the Dickens anything that's hard, difficult, or painful, don't we? Come on, nod your heads like this if you're like your pastor, because I avoid some of that stuff. But pastor, a few weeks ago, you taught us that Peter said, crave pure spiritual milk. Yes, I did. Peter was also, like the writer to the Hebrews, writing to a group that was needing to be told, hey, it's time to grow up. The point of Peter's letter was grow up in your faith. The audience needed to hear it. Now listen, milk is good for you. It's completely adequate for your growth if you are a newborn or if you are an infant but it is inadequate for getting you much past that stage. As a matter of fact, if you stay on an only milk diet for too long, it will stunt your growth, it will break your health, and you will never become what God dreamed you would be, or in the case of a living um, uh, human being, what your parents dreamed when, when you were born. No mama ever other than sentimentally said, don't ever grow up. When babies don't grow, there's something wrong with them, and we rush them to the experts who can, who can find out. Listen, friends, spiritually speaking, if you stay on milk, exclusively milk, it's going to stunt your growth. 
You'll be a withered, diseased version of what God dreamed when he dreamed you into existence long ago. We've got to start going for the meat over the milk. We tend to look for only comfort in the Bible because it makes us feel good. We chase it again the next day. When we find things we don't like, we tend to avoid them. It's true of most of life. It's true of our, of our, our spiritual lives as well. So about that, knock it off, because <laughs> that's going to kill you. The thing that you thought will just inch you along in your faith, it'll, it'll eventually kill your faith if you're not careful. On the platform this morning, I've got uh, an, an easy chair and then that thing. Yep. This, uh, how many years now, Laura, at our house? Fifteen. It fits me. I mean, it's got the shape of cliff just, you know, embedded into it. And whenever I want to be the most comfortable, I just I find this chair, and uh, I kick back, and it makes my life easy and comfortable for a little bit. I did that a lot this winter. Because of that, I'm carrying 10 more pounds than I was last fall. And I can't find a doctor who tells me that that's better for me, being soft and pudgy, Oh, you laugh. Come on. And I know that if I do this all, all summer and all fall and the next winter and the next spring and the next summer and the next fall, um, I'm going to get what that brings. Right? Nobody ever got stronger in the recliner. I, got, I can get more comfortable, but I, I can't get more mature. Can't get stronger. Can't become the best version of me by just living in this thing. And that's why somebody invented this contraption over here is because uh, at some point I'm supposed to get out of that thing. I'm supposed to get onto this thing. You know, uh, they also have another contraption that you can walk on. It's called the earth. Okay, just get outside a little bit. Yep, yep. And, um, oh, hold on. We have no idea how fast it's going. But by simply doing this for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes a day, bump it up just a little bit, the same amount of time that I would sit over there getting slower, fatter, weaker, and lesser, I can get on this thing and I can become a stronger, more vibrant version of myself. If I keep doing this for long, I'm going to run out of breath. I'm going to start sweating profusely. And uh, those 10 pounds that I gained in the easy chair over there, they will go away. And what I will find is a better, healthier, more mature, adult version of myself. We never grow by passivity. We never grow by avoiding the things that challenge us and make us sweat a little bit. You have at your fingertips everything you need to do your part of the spiritual growth experiment. Electronic tools make topical searches of the Bible easy. So uh, find an area in your life where you know you're weak. Uh, pull up Google, 
write in Bible and write in the area that you struggle with, and you'll have plenty of reading over the next few weeks. If you are a subscriber to the First Naz Lewiston app, that's free. You can download it from the App Store or from Google Play. There's an assessment that you can take. You can take it every single day if you want. It takes about five, maybe ten minutes if, if you work at it. Uh, and, and it will help you assess spiritual strengths and weaknesses in your own life. And then it tailor makes a Bible reading plan to uh, help you begin to deal with the areas where you're weak instead of avoiding them and becoming weaker. But I would encourage you to quit making um, all the claims that we make about the Bible being too hard to read because millions of people have read it. It's actually doable. And I would encourage you to begin reading through the Bible methodically and repeatedly, knowing that it isn't easy. But today isn't supposed to be about easy. Remember from the beginning where I said it was, it was like this, uphill from here? We have to ask ourselves daily, do I want to get weaker Or do I want to get stronger? Because those are the only two options. When the scriptures challenge our beliefs, we need to change our minds and agree with God. Amen, Pastor Cliff. Best thing you've said today, I know. When scripture challenges our belief, we need to change our minds and agree with God. When, When the Bible challenges our lifestyle, we must stop justifying it. And confess it and become obedient to the word of God and the blessings that come from walking in his ways. Here's what it looks like and how you can tell when you're growing. The writer said, by constant use, these folks have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It means that by repeatedly, methodically making your way through the scriptures and not avoiding the hard stuff and not eating only the candy of the Bible, you will gain the ability to start making godly decisions consistently. You will gain the ability to make godly decisions consistently. Everybody can make them now and again. The mature are able to do it consistently because by the constant use of the scriptures, we have trained ourselves to be able to discern the difference between right and wrong and what to do in any given situation in which we find ourselves. Ignorance causes a lot of problems, and knowledge will solve many of them, not all, but knowledge will solve many of the problems that are caused by ignorance. Many times we don't know what God wants us to do simply because we haven't read the Bible or asked him in prayer what he wants us to do. You know, it's hard to tell which way to turn in the darkness and you can't see anything. Just a little bit of light will reveal where it's safe to take a step. Admittedly, this world in which we live can be a very dark place. The scriptures often use the metaphor of light for truth. Read the scriptures. Its truth will shine a light on the path out in front of you. You'll know where to go next. When you find yourself knowing what to do more consistently and having peace that your decisions are pleasing to God, you can know that you're growing. That's a sure sign that you're growing in your faith. Spiritual confidence in your decision-making is a product of growth. You won't get it any other way. 
And it's a sure sign of growth as well. You want to put an end to the confusion that you face many times when you're making life's hard decisions? You want to live a life confident that your decisions are pleasing to God the Father? That only comes with growth and maturity. Growth and maturity only come when we quit avoiding the scriptures and the topics that challenge us to change our minds and change our behaviors. When we choose challenge over comfort, we will begin to grow, and not one moment sooner. Stand with me, if you would, please. Bow your heads and close your eyes, and if, if God has, has spoken to you this morning about a life of ease that needs to be forsaken for a little while, um, yeah, I, we can probably give rides on the treadmill after the service today, but that's not going to change enough for you spiritually, Okay. So if the Lord is speaking to you today about, about a life of ease that needs to be set aside for a while so that you can accept the challenge of the hill climbing that it takes to produce growth and strength in your life, why don't you just say yes to him? Why don't you just open up your heart to the possibility that God actually has what it takes to help you make that next stretch of the climb? Why don't you open up your, your mind to the possibility that God who made you, who's been putting circumstances together surrounding you to, to take you somewhere, actually had provided enough strength and enough provision to get you through the next hard part? How about you believe that God put you in this community of believers for a reason? so that you could gain encouragement from the people who are standing next to you and behind you and in front of you. We'll catch you if you stumble and fall. God's given you everything that you need to be able to make this next steep part of the climb. The question is, will you start walking it? Lord, we'll listen for your voice. There might be 17 areas in my life where I am not yet where I ought to be, Lord. I can't work on 17 at once, but if you'll mention one, I will take it to heart. I will quit making excuses, and I will start working on that thing. While I wait quietly, could you speak to me? To my brothers and sisters, we listen for your voice. Lord, I pray that in all of uh, the things that I've said today, inclusive of the tone in which I have said them. That you would not let the devil himself get a foothold in the thinking or in the hearts of the people who were gracious enough to listen to my teaching today. These assessments are only of our behavior. We rest assured and can rest assured that we are the apple of your eye, that the delight of your hearts, that we need not have shame in your presence. 
Help us to be able to separate in our own minds and hearts the difference between a performance review and rejection by a loving Father. You said you'd never leave us. You would never forsake us. We take that to heart today. We will also take to heart what your Spirit says to us about where we need to go from here. Recognizing that we can only do it with your help, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, help us. Give us strength. Give us something that goes beyond our own willpower because that's failed miserably. Lead us, we pray, into strength and maturity. In your holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. My friends, listen. I hope that what you heard today was not an angry pastor saying, you ought to be better than you are. Um, it was, I'll just blame it on the writer of the Hebrews, okay? Listen, I know who you are. You are the sons and daughters of God. You're precious in his eyes and in mine. He has a plan for us. And the plan is for us to grow and mature in our faith. Let's do it together. And so know the blessing and the pleasure of God. Amen? We'll see you.